Well, here we are, Labor Day weekend. The summer's behind us, the new school year's upon us, and before long, Christmas will be here. Yes, that's right, I said it, Christmas. I know that excites some of you, others of you, not so much. But I've got to tell you, I'm looking forward to Christmas this year. Let me tell you why. You see, while I was growing up in Fredericton, every Christmas Eve, my family would gather at my grandparents' home for a reunion of sorts. All of my cousins and uncles and aunts and whoever else claimed a branch on our family tree, they'd all be there. The house was always packed and everyone everyone was just so happy to be together. Oh, and the food. Baked beans, cooked ham, meatballs, three-layered jello or whatever that thing was called, uh, freshly baked rolls, molasses cookies, and anything else you could think of. And the highlight would be when we'd all gather around my great-grandmother's chair and listen as she read the Christmas story to us. Looking back, those are my favorite memories of Christmas. Problem is, in my line of work, it's difficult to be there very often for, the, for that kind of reunion. I'm usually tied up on Christmas Eve and I can't get home. Now, don't get me wrong, I love what I do. And some of our greatest times together as a church are on Christmas Eve. And I'm glad to be here for those. But I miss being at my family gatherings. In fact, as far as I can recall, I've only been there once in the past 12 years. And that was for a grand total of, of maybe 30 minutes. That was about five years ago. There was a snowstorm and we had to get back here because Shara's parents were showing up that night. So we just couldn't stay very long. But this year, this year will be different. Christmas, Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday this year. And so we're going to have our Christmas Eve service in the morning. It's for purely selfish reasons, but we're going to have our service in the morning. And then Shara and I will hit the road and head to Fredericton. I've been planning on that really since last Christmas, and the day's almost here. Oh, and I know that things have changed a lot over the past 12 years. My great-grandmother has died. My grandparents have both died, so the, the location has changed. Uh, my brother and his family now hosted. My mother now reads a Christmas story. Uh, other people have also moved away. But there are also new family members, uh, people that have married into the family, or new family members that have been born into the family. And there are new traditions to begin. I'm not sure if anyone brings baked beans anymore. I know the experience is different now, but it's still family, and I'm looking forward to being with them. Because that's what it's like with family. Families want to be together. Families value each other. Families have a bond which ties them together. Well, I have news for you. Church is a family. In fact, in your notes, you see a statement. Church is not a place you go to. It's a family you belong to. Church is not a place you go to, it's a family you belong to. And that's not a new concept. That's the way Jesus designed the church to be. Going all the way back to the first days of the church in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says they were like family to each other. Wow, what a powerful statement. They were like family to each other. A couple of other verses. In Romans chapter 12 verse 10, it says be devoted to each other like a loving family. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Love your spiritual family. Now, the word used in the Bible to describe this relationship between believers is the Greek word koinonia. And it means community or fellowship. It means being as committed to each other as we are to Jesus Christ, even to the point of being willing to sacrifice for each other. Now, you're probably familiar with what it says in the New Testament Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. 
John wrote that gospel. But you know that there are also three letters that John wrote that are included in the New Testament. And in his first letter, in chapter 3, verse 16, it says this. It says, we know what real love is because Christ gave up his life for us. And so we also ought to give up our lives for our Christian brothers and sisters. There, that verse right there describes the depth of love and community and family that should be present within the church. John even used the terms brothers and sisters. Now, maybe you're not particularly close to your family. Or maybe your family has been a source of pain for you. So perhaps that distorts your image of what family is. Perhaps the concept of the church being a family doesn't sound all that appealing to you. But you need to understand that when the Bible describes the church as a family, it's not talking about a dysfunctional family. It's talking about a healthy family. It's not talking about a disconnected association. It's talking about a bonded relationship. It's not talking about an arbitrary bloodline. It's talking about a spiritual bloodline. Bonded by a shared Christian heritage, a shared mission in the world, a shared focus of worship, and a shared hope for the future, all because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul described the foundation for our spiritual family when he wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. He wrote, We are all one body. We have the same spirit. We've all been called to the same glorious future. There's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's only one God and Father who is over us all and in us all and living through us all. We are a family. Now that doesn't mean that we're all clones of each other, but it does mean that there's a common bond. A family tie. There's unity in our diversity. And so this morning, I want to talk with you about the church as a family. And what I want to do is identify for you five ways in which the church operates as a family. And you can use your notes to follow along and fill in the blanks as we go. The first way that the church is like a family is that a healthy family grows stronger through tragedy, struggles, and adversity. You know, one of the signs of a healthy family is that when some crisis comes, maybe a disease or a death or financial hardship or relational issues, when a crisis comes, a healthy family pulls together. They walk hand in hand to confront the, situ the situation and to face the issue. So how do we do that as a church, as the Sunrise family? Well, we do that by standing with each other. We do that by standing with other believers when they're going through a crisis. When everybody else walks out, we walk in. We're there for each other in the tough times. We take seriously what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, where it says, Share each other's troubles and problems. Because we're not meant to face our problems alone. When you share a joy, it's doubled. When you share a problem, it's cut in half. That's the beauty of being part of the family. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Now how does this play out in a church? Well, this can happen one-on-one. -on -one. And to an extent, it can happen with the entire church. But it happens best, and most naturally, in a small group. In what we call our life groups. In a small group, sometimes you just die of laughter and sometimes you're all shedding a tear. And it all depends on what's going on in your lives and in your group on that particular week. But you're there for each other. You can share openly and honestly with each other about your struggles and about your dreams. You can pray together. You can encourage each other. And that doesn't mean you have to fix everybody's problem. 
God hasn't told you to do that. He just says, share them. You don't have to fix it. In fact, a lot of times trying to fix a problem doesn't help at all. So just lend a listening ear. Just sit there and empathize and listen and go, boy, I feel for you. I've been there. I understand. That's tough. You know, share sympathy and share from your own experience. Now, you're likely not going to be going on to this level of family until you actually do get involved in a small group or in a life group. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another. And in order to do that, you've got to be together. Our life groups have been on a break for the summer, but we're getting geared up to start them again in a couple of weeks. So get involved. That's where care and nurturing and compassion and the friendships happen best. So get involved. The primary purpose of a group is to encourage each other, and you're always going to need encouragement. So get involved. In fact, let me say this. I don't want to hear anyone complaining about how they're not included, how they're not loved, how nobody cares for them. I don't want to hear any of you complaining about that and complaining about how unfriendly the people at Sunrise are if you've never gotten involved in a group. I've heard comments from people in the past, not from any of you, so I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but I've, I've heard comments from people in the past where they've said that they never felt like they fit in at church. Actually, most people don't say that. They write it. So it's one of the reasons I really hate getting letters sometimes. Uh, but they would indicate in one way or another that they never felt like they were accepted at church. In other words, it never became family for them. And that really concerns me when I hear that, because that can be a valid complaint. And if it is, then something needs to be done about it. But I got to thinking about it, and I realized that most times, the people who indicate this to me have never even tried to fit in. They didn't serve in any ministry, they didn't come to anything outside of Sunday morning, and they never got involved in a small group. Yet somehow they expected to develop deep and meaningful friendships during the five minutes of casual conversation before or after the service, when they didn't come late or leave early. For them, the church was a place to go to, but they were wrong. Church is not a place you go to, it's a family you belong to. Let's move on. Number two, a healthy family experiences life together. Now, maybe you think this whole family thing is for the birds. Well, we can learn a lot from birds. In fact, let me read for you something that I found online. Lessons we can learn from geese. Number one, as each goose flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the others behind it. By flying in a V formation, the whole flock adds 71% greater flying range than if each bird flew alone. What do we learn from that? Well, the lesson is the people who share a common direction and sense of community can get where they're going quicker and easier because they're traveling on the thrust of one another. Number two, whenever a goose falls out of formation, it suddenly feels a drag and resistance of trying to fly alone and quickly gets back into formation to take advantage of the lifting power of the bird immediately in front. The application for you and me is that if we have as much sense as the goose, we'll stay in formation with those who are headed where we want to go, and we'll be willing to accept their help as well as give our help to others. Number three, something else we learned from geese is that when the lead goose gets tired, it rotates back into the formation and another goose flies at the point position. 
The application for you and me is that it pays to take turns doing, doing the hard tasks and sharing leadership. With people, as with geese, we are interdependent on each other. Not independent of or dependent on, but interdependent on each other. Number four, the geese in formation honk from behind to encourage those up front to keep up their speed. The lesson for you and me is that we need to make sure that our honking from behind is encouraging and not something else. And number five, the fifth lesson we learn from geese is that when a goose gets sick or wounded or shot down, two geese drop out of formation and follow it down to help and protect it. They stay with it until it's able to fly again or dies. Then they launch out on their own with another formation or they catch up with the flock. And the lesson for us is that if we have as much sense as geese, we too will stand by each other in difficult times, as well as when we're strong. So geese experience life together, both the good and the bad. And that's the way it should be with us. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17 says, People learn from one another, just as iron sharpens iron. The early Christians experienced life together. You see this clearly in Acts chapter 2. In verses 42, 44, and 46, it says, They joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. And all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. In other words, they just loved being together in organized activities and in spontaneous gatherings. You know, they'd come to a service, then afterward a group of them would decide to head to the deli on the corner for lunch, or they'd invite people over to their homes to spend the day there. The point is, they just loved being together. Doesn't that sound like something you'd want to be part of? Last week we talked a little bit about the Trinity. We talked about how there's only one God who exists in three persons. There's God the Father, there's Jesus the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. All three are part of the Godhead. Always have been, always will be. And I think one of the most powerful things we learn from this Trinity is that God himself lives in community. There's a community of three living as one. And since you and I were made in God's image, we were made to live in community. We were made to experience life together. Number three. A healthy family creates shared memories. I already told you about my memories of Christmas Eve. Families form those types of memories. That's why families take family vacations. I remember trips to the African Lion Safari in Ontario, or to Sandage Village or Six Gun City on trips to New Hampshire. I even remember getting car sick in the back seat while trying to read during one of those trips. You know, sometimes those memories aren't all that pleasant. And sometimes you may want to forget them, but, uh, but even those can, can become a fond memory with the passage of time because it's a memory of a shared experience. Families create shared memories. Paul had shared his life and created memories with the Christians in the city of Thessalonica. And even after he had moved away, those memories continued. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 and 6, it says, We sent Timothy to visit you. He's our co-worker for God. Number three, a healthy family creates shared memories. 
I already told you about my memories of Christmas Eve. Families form those types of memories. That's why families take family vacations. I remember trips to the African Lion Safari in Ontario, or to Santa's Village and Six Gun City on trips to New Hampshire. Families create shared memories. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had shared his life and created memories with the Christians in the, the city of Thessalonica. And even after he had moved away, those memories continued. And so he wrote to them. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 and 6, he wrote, We sent Timothy to visit you. He's our co-worker for God and our brother in, in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith. Now Timothy has just returned. He reports that you remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us just as much as we want to see you. You can circle the word remember there. They had some shared memories. And later, when Paul knew that he would shortly be arrested and executed, he told the, le the leaders in the church in Ephesus, in Acts chapter 20, verse 31, he told them, Remember those three years I kept at it with you, never letting up, pouring my heart out with you, one after another. They had created memories together, and so do we. We do things together. We share life together, and we create memories together. We'll talk about that some next Sunday evening at our Dreams and Dessert Night. While, ironically, at the same time, I expect I'll be trying to forget my memory of the golf day. But that's another story. Number four, a healthy family has conflict, but there's more that unites than divides. Even the healthiest of families experiences conflict. And maybe that in and of itself is an encouragement for some of you. But besides Jesus, who do you look at in the New Testament as being the standard for spiritual maturity? Who were the people who had the most influence in the early church? Who were the leaders? Well, if I were to ask you to respond, you would probably tell me two names, Peter and Paul. But Peter and Paul had their differences. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes about how he had to publicly confront Peter. But at the same time that he was confronting Peter, he constantly referred to the unity that they had in Jesus. And that wasn't the only conflict that Paul was involved in. He always seemed to be in the middle of it. His traveling companion was a man named Barnabas. And they spent years together traveling around and starting new churches and helping new believers get granted in their faith. They worked really well together. But Barnabas had it in his mind that he was going to train a young cousin of his named John Mark. So he wanted to invite John Mark to join them and travel with them. Problem was, they had already done that once before, and John Mark had gotten homesick or something and had left them. He abandoned them. And so, Paul wasn't going to invite him again, but Barnabas insisted. And the conflict rose to the point that they parted ways. Barnabas went with John Mark, and Paul went with someone else. He went with Silas. But later on, in some of his letters, Paul referred to John Mark and called him his fellow worker. He talked about how John Mark had become an encouragement and a help to him. And so the conflict was apparently resolved. And John Mark actually went on to write the Gospel of Mark that's included in your Bible this morning. Being a Christian does not mean the absence of conflict. Even strong, spiritually mature Christians have conflict. But in the midst of their conflict, 
they recognize that there's a unity. There's a common bond. And so any issue can be worked out honestly, with love and with understanding. It may not always be easy, it may not always be quick, but there is more that unites us than divides us. And even while we have a diversity of opinions and backgrounds and ethnicities and languages and cultures and preferences, even though there are many differences between Christians around the world and even right here at sunrise, there is more that unites us than there is that divides us. And that's exactly what Jesus himself prayed for shortly before his crucifixion. In John chapter 17 verses 21 and 21, uh, 20 and 21, uh, it records Jesus praying this. He prayed, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. My prayer for all of them is that they will be one, just as you and I are one, Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us, and the world will believe you sent me. A healthy family may have conflict, but they recognize that there's more that unites them than divides them. And number five, a healthy family goes beyond a loosely knitted group of associates to a community of oneness. I'm just going to play an audio file for you, and I want you to listen to it. It's from a conference that I was at about a year and a half ago, and the guy you're going to hear talking is Dr. Gilbert Bilzekian. He's an old professor who once taught and inspired a young man by the name of Bill Hybels. Some of you may recognize that name. He has a fairly strong French accent, so listen closely. Here's Dr. B. I want to make this as clear and as stark as possible. And this is what I'm going to say. You hear it from Dr. B. Willow Creek Community Church, Wheaton College, and who knows what, Dr. B. He says, Christ did not die to save sinners. You heard it right, I'm going to say it again. Christ did not die to save sinners. You say, Christ is my personal savior, I say, so what? Christ did not die to save sinners. The right way of saying it is that Christ died to save sinners in order to integrate them together into the community of oneness. Should I say that again? Christ died to save sinners in order to integrate them together into the community of oneness. Did you catch what he said? He told us that you were created for oneness. You were reconciled to God for oneness. There are no Lone Ranger Christians, or at least if there are, they're not living as God desires. He desires for each one of us to be integrated together into his community of oneness the church. Check out what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13. It says, Though you once were far away from God, now you've been brought near to Him 
because of the blood of Christ. So we were all brought near to God through the blood of Jesus, but we were also brought near to each other at the same time. And that's why the passage goes on to tell us in the next couple of verses, for Christ himself has made peace between us by making us all one people. He has broken down the wall of hostility that used to separate us. His purpose was to make peace, specifically here, between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new person from the two groups. And then I like how the message paraphrase of the Bible puts this next verse. It says, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. So you see, the church should not be a disassociated, disconnected group of individuals living life in isolation. Like a family, we're to be joined together into his community of oneness. Jesus said in John chapter 13, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And you know, that's what Sunrise should be known for. Not our music, not our sermons, not our size, not our strategy, but our love. We want people to say of us, that's the place where they love each other. Because that's what Christianity is all about, loving God and loving each other. The church, it's not a place you go to, it's a family you belong to. It's a family that encourages each other, uplifts each other, builds each other up, believes in each other, stands by each other, and loves each other unconditionally and absolutely. The church is a family. It's not a building. It's not an institution. It's not an organization. It's not a club. It's a family. Church is not a place you go to. It's a family you belong to. And that's a big difference. It's more than a building, more than a service. It's a family that we belong to. In the passage that we read earlier in our worship celebration in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, His, God's, unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And you know what? I'm proud to be part of this family. And as we head into September and into a, really a whole new year of ministry here at Sunrise, I'm excited about the memories that we're going to create together about the bonds that will be developed in our life groups and how we will express our family love to each other and to our community by serving our city. And I'm excited about how our family will continue to grow and expand as we impact our world with the message of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we head into the fall and as a lot of things begin to fill our calendars, I pray that you will, will protect and build this community of oneness, this family. We echo, we echo the very prayer that you prayed for us. Make us one. May we truly learn what it means to love each other, to be open and honest with each other, even vulnerable, to be supportive and encouraging of each other, to want the best for each other, to look at each other with the same care and compassion that you see us with. May our sense of family be so strong, so solid, so steadfast, that people all around us will see it and will want to join in and become part of it. Thank you. We join together and we pray this in your name. Amen.